I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Welcome back to Saturday School. This season, we're talking about Asian American troublemakers. And for this episode, we're talking about Curtis Choi's film, Dupont Guy, The Skiz of Grant Avenue from 1976. I think today, like we think about it as a video essay, but I think at the time it was just, we have a bunch of 16 millimeter cameras. We're just going to run in the streets and let's just capture whatever we see. It is 35 minutes and itself feels a little bit like a collage of different kinds of moments. This is before Chan is missing too. So really one of the first to think about the possibility of Asian American cinema just being like whatever's on the streets. So 1976, what's going on around this time in terms of Asian American history? This is the time when Asian American studies is in its infancy. People are starting to take classes. There's starting to be the emergence of Asian American literature, poetry, theater. So these groups are forming. There are collectives of filmmakers, people who are trying to find what is an Asian American voice. Curtis Choi is somebody living and working in San Francisco, and he has a camera, and he's going to try to kind of capture that spirit. You mentioned it's before Chan is Missing. So what does that mean? Chan is Missing is usually considered like the beginning of Asian American feature-length filmmaking, but it really is like the beginning of Asian American cinema being discovered by the mainstream. Whereas something like Dupont Guide, nobody knows about. Nobody knows about this outside of people who kind of live and breathe Asian American cinema. I guess it's notable because Curtis Choi would later work with Wayne Wing and many, many other Asian American filmmakers, often in sound. He is the sound of Asian American cinema. So I mean, I think today he's best known for doing things. He was a sound mixer on Chance Missing, on most of Wayne Wang's early films, on Justin Lin's films. Better Luck Tomorrow. Yeah, but also like random things like uh, Catfish and Black Bean Sauce and- Season one shout out. Dave Boyle's films. Yeah, even something as recent as Surrogate Valentine and Daylight Savings. The day a film that is very much about sound. Not to just like list everything. But. Well, so I think it speaks to two things. One is that he's the go-to for anything sound related. But also a lot of these stories just happen to be set in and around the Bay Area. And it's also a fixture of Bay Area Asian American filmmaking. So I don't know much about like why this was made or in what context was this shown. All I know is like, watching it now is such a a blast of energy and and weirdness and I think it's also like a thesis on what Asian American identity can be. Shit, we ain't no Chinese Americans, man. Matter of fact, we ain't even Chinese. Let's face up to it, all of you, all of us, what we is, is we're all Chinamen. Cause Chinamen suffer and Chinamen are miserable and Chinamen cry and Chinamen die. Chinamen work like fucking dogs, slaving night and day. Chinamen cook in kitchens, wash dishes, and kiss ass to honky tourists. Chinamen smile politely and no speak of English, see? Chinamen are so in time and Chinamen lie, pretending everything is fine when everything is fucked. He's very um, suspicious of this idea of a melting pot. He's like, why would I want to assimilate into this? Like, you wouldn't take me anyways. But maybe we should say a little bit about what is in this film. It starts with this white guy who's a reporter, and he's saying there's trouble in Chinatown, and it could get out of hand if we don't do anything about it. But I mean, it feels a little bit like fear-mongering. I think we, the audience, are supposed to not trust this guy. Yeah, well, like by starting with a fake news report about Chinatown told from a kind of white mainstream perspective, it's it's showing us kind of like something we can laugh at, 
that allows him to say, all right, this is normally how we talk about such things. Let me show you an alternative to that. So, so what, what are some other things that we see in the film? Well, there's one scene where you see this guy from far away doing Tai Chi. And then when you get up close, you realize there's this white guy doing Tai Chi. But the gaze upon this guy is so hilarious. He's so solemn doing his moves in Chinatown. And he's wearing some kind of Chinese clothes. I mean, he looks straight up like David Carradine in Kung Fu. Basically a lot of making fun of white guys trying to do Asian things. <laughs> so like, yeah, we, we see you. We see you. <laughs> you're trying to do here yeah there's a moment where it feels like a like an info session like we're trying to educate non-chinese people about chinese culture and this one guy was talking about bird's nest soup and just like talking in circles the chinese bird's nest soup is made from bird's nest which is which is which is is made from bird's nest which is which is kind of like why do i have to explain this to you just eat it And there are a lot of references to Flower Drum Song. When he's showing scenes from Chinatown, a lot of times he juxtaposes it with Grant Avenue, which is one of the songs from Flower Drum Song, which I feel like feels kind of malicious. What's critical? So, I mean, in the last couple of decades, Asian Americans have looked at Flower Drum Song again with a certain fondness and nostalgia. But in 1976, it was still an example of how Asian Americans are misrepresented. There's some moments that like you have to look a little more closely to see where potentially the critique is. Like he'll just have shots of a parade and you think, oh, it's nice. It's like something that you might find in Flower Drum Song too, or like showcasing the people of Chinatown. But when you look closely, it's white Christians who seem like they're trying to convert people in Chinatown. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the most memorable images for me from the film is the scene with these two guys. You can kind of imagine there's names written on the wall or a chalkboard. Like Charlie Chan and Nancy Kwan. It's like 20 to 30 names that all represent figures of Asian America, like the Asian American pioneers of the time, you could say, interspersed with some names like David Carradine and people who've profited from Asian culture. And these two people are going one by one and crossing everyone's names out. And there's even a point where one of them starts writing new names, like maybe these are the people that we should be paying attention to, but the other one comes and crosses those names out too. <laughs> like we have no real heroes, and they're all <laughs> potentially the enemy. It's kind of it's, it's a very all or nothing militant way of thinking about Asian American culture that I think by today we can kind of see the problem with. Someone needs to be in Hollywood or in the mainstream to make incremental changes, but. I don't know, like, like the whole posture of the film is this kind of, let's just piss on the people who are associated with the mainstream. Yeah. So it's saying that like, yeah, so what I'm going to show you is unrecognizable as either Chinese or American culture. And what it is, is this state of criticism, like that what we do is here to criticize you and deconstruct you. And he names it, like he calls it chonk culture. Yeah. It's um, somewhere between like honk, like, like honky tonk and, and a chink. So watching this almost 40 years later, it's just a nice glimpse of what it meant to be Asian American in the first place during that time. Right, because they couldn't take for granted that this category Asian American existed. They had to sort of invent it. And the way they did so was to show that, hey, Asian American by definition is a kind of troubling, that it troubles what it means to be American, what it means to be Asian. It's it's kind of a badassery. And what better way of thinking about Asian American identity than constantly resisting any of the categories that you've been given? Yeah, and it kind of struck me that during that time, being Asian American, at least his definition of being Asian American, was so much about critiquing what was American. Whereas nowadays, I feel like it's a little bit more about how we are American. Or it's like, what can us as Asian Americans do to rethink what American is? I think I feel like that is more important to us now. So it's not just about assimilation, but it's also showing how Asian Americans are profoundly redefining what American is. Whereas in Dupont guy, he's like, 
I really don't care about what American is. I just don't exist on my own terms. And that in itself is going to be categorically impossible for you to understand. And I'm okay with that. So I read this Q&A with Curtis Troy that was only done like a couple years ago, but it's such a fun interview to read because I think nowadays everybody's a little bit more positive about supporting the Asian American community. And it's not a bad thing, but there's less like shit talking going on. And during this interview, Curtis Troy is just like shit talking everybody, basically. And it kind of takes you back to that time that you read about when, you know, like Frank Chin was having a feud with Amy Tan and David Henry Huang and Maxine Hong Kingston. Yes. Yeah, so like, whose side are you on? Yeah, you don't get so many like Asian American feuds anymore, at least not in public. But you still feel that spirit in Curtis Choi's interview because he kind of trash talks Justin Lin and Wayne Wang for not bringing up their fellow Asian Americans with them when they got to the mainstream. It's like the people who had worked with them in all of their early films. Allegedly. That makes sense. Curtis Troy didn't do the sound on Fast and the Furious. But he could have an Oscar by now. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but Curtis Troy probably shoved that Oscar in trash. So there's something kind of fun about... I mean, I don't know if fun's the right word, but... No, it's totally fun. It's refreshing. Like, I think we need this. Like, this, this uh, reminder that Asian American identity and cinema and artistry is kind of a big F you to the establishment. And, and that it's, like, necessarily so. Or just to remind ourselves that there are alternatives to our main way of thinking about progress in Asian American cinema. There are alternatives to the fresh off boats. But now that I think about it, I guess Eddie Huang would be the closest thing we have to that now. He was a writer of Fresh Off the Boat. He kind of trashed the ABC sitcom when it came out. Yeah. And calling people out. At the time, it felt kind of dramatic because people were like, no, 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 this is like our only chance to get an Asian American <laughs> family on television again. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, what the fuck did you do to my story? <laughs> yeah, totally. Eddie Huang is definitely the Frank Chin of our generation. But he showed up to the press conference anyway in like his red tracksuit or something. I don't know. <laughs> he was like, what is he going to do? <laughs> and also tied to that is a sense of like masculine bravado. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's just about showing different personalities in Asian American. America. Most of the time they're complicated. Sometimes they're problematic. Yeah. So I mean, watching Dupont Guy, I can't help but think about Frank Chin, who Curtis Tour later made a documentary about. Frank Chin was one of the original Asian American cultural critics who were very critical of, amongst other things, the way Asian American men are portrayed. And Frank Chin's writing and criticism has this very masculinist posing. Um, he's masculinist, but he's also trying to act black, basically, or sound black. And you get a little bit of that in DuPont guy. And so, so that's always struck me as something that makes the film feel rather one-sided. So that's why I think it's also worth mentioning that Curtis Choi has this pretty awesome collection of short films called Snipers in the Trees from 1985. And it's made up of short films mostly from the 1970s. So around the same time that DuPont guy was made. So you can kind of think about it as like, this, these are like the outtakes of DuPont guy. And in looking at these short films, you'll see that it's actually a lot more inclusive of um, women's voices, voices and images that aren't just purely masculinist in a kind of obvious way. For me, the most memorable is the poetry performance by Janice Mirakatani. Your blue eyes dissolving with doubtful words of love, whispering to me. Who delivers with a lot of glee this poem she has about how white men see Asian women. Your slanted eyes hold mysteries of the Orient. Give me your novelty body. But before you do, the question is, is it true your cunt is slanted too? 
this whole thing is like a bunch of sketches. Kind of like sketch theater. And one of the later sketches in here is a piece by Philip Kahn Gotanda, who is kind of a luminary Asian American theater writer. And a lot of this is just like a fun little romp. Um, a lot of music performances. There's like a village people moment, Asian American bikers. This is one where this is female singer and then behind her are these three guys who are just like singers from KISS. Yeah, it's showing all kinds of iterations on subculture that Asian Americans could be a part of. So these are films that you can look for at your college libraries, especially if they have an Asian American studies department, or you could buy it. Curtis Choi's website is chonkmoonhunter.com. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our new website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com, where you can find lecture notes and links to all the films we've covered. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And our podcast handle is Wake Up Set School. Next week, your assignment is to watch two films from Byron Q, Bang Bang and Rascal Love. Class dismissed.